If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! We were started in spite, actually. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar, and strange as it may sound, spite was exactly the reason the organization Child's Play was started 20 years ago in 2003. We'll hear more about that in a moment as we continue the conversation about gaming in the healthcare setting, this time from the perspective of Child's Play. Based in the technology hub of Redmond, Washington, home to Microsoft and Nintendo in America, Child's Play is a gamer-led charity driving the movement to bring video gaming to pediatric hospitals like Nemours and other nonprofits that serve children across the nation and across the world. Joining me to talk about Child's Play, its background, its mission, and its partnership with Nemours in both Delaware and Florida is Eric Blandon, Pediatric Gaming Technology Manager for Child's Play. We're also joined again in this episode by Nemours Gaming and Technology Specialist Scott Shaw, whose position is funded by a capacity-building grant from Child's Play. Let's start with the history of the organization Born of Spite that does so much good for pediatric patients at Nemours and nearly 200 other pediatric hospitals and organizations. Here's Child's Play's Eric Blandon. Our founders are gamers. They love games. They're also web cartoon artists and create a webcomic called Penny Arcade. And at the time, Grand Theft Auto 3 had just come out. There was a lot of stuff in the media about games being murder simulators and a lot of negative perceptions in the media and, and general public around games. And they, they knew that they, you know, were good people and they also loved games and they knew, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that also loved games and were good people. And so they, in despite all that negative stuff, they threw a challenge out to their reader base and worked with Seattle Children's, built an Amazon wish list. And said, okay, like, here's this wish list. Let's buy a bunch of stuff for Seattle Children's and show the world that the gamers can do good. In a little over a month, the community bought over $250,000 worth of stuff off this wish list. They hadn't foreseen that. They had been using one of their addresses as the drop spot. The, the mail people and the UPS people were extremely mad at them a few weeks later because they had to bring entire truckloads of stuff to their house. There's pictures of their garages just wall-to-wall filled. And they ended up bringing an entire truckload of stuff to Seattle Children's who, you know, already being in the holidays were overwhelmed by this amount of stuff and, and in a good way and had, a, had this extra bounty. But after that, they decided that this shouldn't be a one-time stunt and they formed the official charity and, and thus Child's Play was born. And it, it has expanded to many pediatric hospitals. I'm based in Connecticut, I noticed. Both the pediatric hospitals in Connecticut, Yale New Haven Children's and Connecticut Children's are part of this, as well as Namor. So talk about that growth. Yeah. When they, when they decided, okay, let's make it a real charity, 
they reached out to a bunch of hospitals, maybe 20 or 30 or 40 sort of numbers and got wish lists, got them on the, the list. When they built the website, they had this starter list of hospitals then all across the, the U.S. at that point that people could, could shop off these different wish lists. And originally it was just well, the wish list was all it was. It was it was people can go and buy stuff on the wish list and it gets sent directly to the hospital. So, and then it has grown over time over the last 20 years, where now it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 190 partner hospitals, mostly in the US, but Canada, Australia, UK, and Ireland are also have good representation. And then we have a couple like one in India, one in Kenya, one in um, Philippines, Germany, different places as well. So it's fair to say this is an international operation. It is. It is very much. Yeah. Talk about yourself. I want to know how you got involved with the organization, your gaming background. Um, tell us about that. Sure. So I have played games all of my life, various computer games, console games, board games, tabletop, all sorts of games. Previous to this job, I worked for University of Washington Medical Center for 10 years. I did uh, IT stuff, mostly with the medical records department, supporting their systems. And then a couple of years with the central IT department, um, supporting the electronic ordering system. So I have a, I had a good appreciation for the, the challenges that hospital face as far as rolling out anything that involves IT or projects and the sort of length of time that that might take and the, and the thought process that has to go into it. I mean, hospitals by nature are sort of conservative organizations. Any change is potentially harmful to patients. So they have to be very careful with, with the changes that they make, greatly so. But that, that can be frustrating sometimes when you, when you feel like there's a good change to be made. So I had that background. At the time, I was supporting Child's Play and, and volunteering at events that they had and, and getting to know the staff of Child's Play. And yeah, so when a position opened up for project manager, they asked if I was interested. And I was like, sure. I wasn't, it was never really a goal to get into the healthcare field. It was sort of, I sort of fell into it, but it didn't, it didn't merge my my gaming love the way that this position would. So yeah, so I, I jumped at it and, and I've been pretty happy ever since. I want you to talk about the partnership specifically with Nemours Children's Health. You are present as an organization in both of our hospitals in Delaware and Florida. Tell us about that. Sure. So so there's a couple ways that we help hospitals. Um, the way we help most of our partner hospitals is we send an annual gift, a cash gift in the summer. We know you guys get lots of stuff in the in the holiday season. And so we try to send most of our stuff in the summer sort of opposite end of the year to help, you know, refill the coffers and, and give you some extra boost mid-year. And that's designated for games and technology. It could be iPads. It could be consoles, whatever sort of things that, that the hospital needs, every hospital we've found. We used to send a lot of in-kind stuff. We would send Xboxes, we would send Playstations, we would send iPads and movies. And we started running into hospitals that were like, you know, we're, we're an Xbox-only organization, or we're a PlayStation-only organization, or we, we're all digital for our movies. We don't need physical copies anymore. So we, we decided, okay, we're just going to send money and let you figure out what you want to buy. We just, we still do send a, a care package as well to our U.S. hospitals domestically, but that's all stuff that was given to us free from various conventions and stuff. And we sort of divvy it up and send it out. And then we have a host of the wish list as well for our partner hospitals. So that's the sort of two things that we do primarily for our partner hospitals. But then we have the grant program as well. And that's for something above and beyond that the hospital might need that can't be covered by the annual gift. So like Scott's position sort of example is, is something that we do with those grants. 
I'm going to actually bring Scott in, if you don't mind. Scott Shaw is here. He's the gaming and technology specialist for Nemours Children's Hospital in Delaware. Scott, what do you know about plans to make a grant application to create a similar position in Orlando at Nemours Children's Hospital? I want to say that's probably in the works. If it hasn't already been submitted, it's probably getting close to to being in the application process. So I hope to see it, you know, grow throughout Nemours. And part of what I would like to do here and through Child's Play is get those volunteers from the area that may want to come in and play or help clean systems or do some of the, the more rudimentary work that I'm involved with so that they can get a little bit more exposure to what this job position looks like and what it entails. And I think that's kind of key for us to grow it internally, but it's already, you know, probably in the plans that Eric and the organization have. I think I saw Eric nodding his head. Eric, is that true that we're, that the possibility exists we'll have somebody like Scott in Orlando? I actually visited Orlando late last year, October, and had a chat with them about, about that very thing or great window for for is right now but it's definitely it's definitely a thing that they're thinking about because it's such a new position it does take a little bit of prep of sort of thinking about like what what should this look like in our hospital how should we do this we want we want to make sure as much as possible that if we were to fund it that it is something that can be sustained after the funding is over and sometimes that takes some groundwork to sort of get set up and whatnot so um, talk a little bit about that. How do you how do you help hospitals once the grant has ended or once any reapplications have been completed of funding this position beyond just the grant from Child's Play? Talk about how you help with building that. Sure. So we fund two years. We come across two years as, as a good amount of time. So it it takes six months or a year just to just to get your footing and sort of figure out. What is this acquisition actually going to be? What am I actually going to be doing day to day? Finish the inventory of all the stuff that is hidden in closets and different spots and hiding away and start actually sort of doing the day to day work. That leaves them a year or so to gather statistics and, and stories and, and that kind of stuff. Prove anything in a hospital to be able to be sustained. You need to have those numbers, right? Like it, it needs to have that. So there's some hospitals that roll these positions into their regular operating budget. And some hospitals that use foundation dollars from other sources that support the hospital. We don't have any preference either way. Whatever, whatever works for the hospital, everyone is unique. This is a, this is a very much, I won't say understood in that the leadership of, of child life know they need this. They don't know exactly what it should look like if they don't have one yet, but they can definitely identify that this is a gap. Like their, their child life staff are bending their trained time maintaining all the Xboxes and Playstations and doing all this stuff right now, or or some of that stuff is just not getting done. And having one of these people on board is like a breath of relief for them. Um, we've gotten so much feedback of it, it being so beneficial. It's not a question of why should we keep it? It's, it's how do we prove its importance so that we can keep it, if that makes sense? Yes, data is king in healthcare. Exactly. Scott, you are nodding your head. Do tell. Yeah. What I was nodding my head about is all of the hidden equipment spread throughout the hospital. Like, because it's game systems, it's not like a computer on wheels, right? It may not be tracked. It may not have a, a serial number written down. It may not have a c- account information there. 
uh, folks may not know what games are installed on it or what games go with it or what games are relevant. There's just a multitude of factors that kind of become very overwhelming for, you know, I'm in child life. So all my child life specialists are like, thank goodness you're here. Here's the game systems. I'm going to go do some other stuff. And we're perfectly happy to do that. And it's sometimes it's silly things that, you know, the TV won't switch over to the game system and I've tried everything I I know to do. So I'm going to call Scott and and get this fixed. And usually we can solve those issues. Um, the amount of like just child life stuff that they do, that's been an amazing process to watch. And I have no doubt that if I had a second me, we would be equally busy in the amount of work that we're doing because we've got a, a fairly large organization. There's there's certainly larger, there's certainly smaller, but there's so much of our lives and our patients' lives revolve around technology. But when those things that we rely on and kind of depend that's always going to be there are not there, that can bring about its own unique issues that, you know, IT is worried about workstations and desktops and things for function of the hospital. Child life is just trying to maintain some normalcy and some connection and some distraction. And there's just this huge gap that we have been able to fill with this position here. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure Eric could confirm other stories like that. Eric, I want to ask, what role does gaming play in the healthcare setting for children? You've seen it work in so many places. From your experience, from your eyes, tell us how important it is. Yeah, there's there's kind of two main roles for gaming. One is normalization, right? Like you want a hospital stay to be as least disruptive as possible for a patient. Like, you know, they might as well be at home. All the stuff that they can do at home, they can do there. Like that's the ideal world, right? They're also getting medical care. And if gaming is not available, then that's a big gap. So having, having game systems available to them is, is, is a great step towards normals. It's also, I'll call it small T therapeutic. A lot of times in a hospital, you want the patient to just sit up or you want them to, you know, get a bed and get into a chair or be doing things like that. And while you could do those exercises without some sort of game, Having a game tied to it makes it much easier, get much better patient compliance and that kind of stuff, right? So if, if there's a game system in the playroom that they can play and use that as an incentive to just get them to walk a little bit, rather than just doing laps around the halls, you can, you can get those small wins with much less pushback using games. And then there's, um, call it the capital T therapy or the, or the therapy, which is, you know, that's the part where like you want either like physical therapist or someone that is trained to be able to use it there to, to do that piece. But it could be that, you know, there's a VR game that you move your arms. And so rather than, you know, a physical therapy where you need to, you know, do an arm lift, you know, for 30 reps to, to work on your arm strength, you play this VR game. That's your, that's your prescription, if you will, is play this VR game and that's your therapy, right? Like, you know, with, with proper supervision and, and people watching and making sure that, you know, you don't fall or anything. That's sort of a third use, right, is, is that sort of level of specifically targeted therapeutic use. The first one is probably the most common, right? Just, just having games in the hospitals that kids can play when they're bored. Let, that's the most common, right? The second piece is probably second most common where, okay, we're going to use the game just to get them to sit up or we're going to use the game as an incentive to get them to walk to the playroom 
That's the second most common piece. And then the third piece probably happens the least. That's the piece that I won't say has the most benefit because the other two are also extremely beneficial. But um, it just, it needs the most like training and onboarding and sort of justification of why it's important. And there is research around them being useful for that. Eric, it, it is clear to me that you are vested in the work of Child's Play as a volunteer first, now as an employee. Um, was there a, a patient or child or family story that you'd like to share? Yeah. So we started doing hospital visits a while ago, six, six or so years ago which is where we learned that a lot of the equipment we were sending to hospitals wasn't getting used. And, and thus we started the, the patient gaming technologist positions to help them get used more. But in one of those visits, we were giving out Skylanders toys. Um, Skylanders is a video game, but it also has these little figurines that are part of the video game that you sort of use, put on your shelf, but then are, are like tied into the game and scan them and get stuff in the game or unlock that character. And so we gave them out to gobs of hospitals and and we heard later from a hospital that one of the patients there you know got one of these toys remembered how much they enjoyed watching their brother and and dad play this game and so they they brought in a, a console with with skylanders on it so that the patient could play with with his dad part of that patient was there for hard work and and needed to sit up and so they got him sitting up to play the game they started feeding him some some, they called it gamer food, chips and things, because he wasn't eating as much as he should. And so they got him eating some things. It was a good bonding time for him and his dad. He could sort of watch his dad play or play a little bit himself. And it was just very rewarding to hear about how you know, this simple toy, right, had allowed for this better outcome for this patient you know, this, this improvement in the patient's life in the hospital, right? Um, that's the power, I guess, of gaming. I mean, medical tools are all powerful. Like you need all of it, right? You need medicine, you need the tools, you need the doctors and the trained nurses and everything. It's just another tool to help make that experience better, I guess. Our role is to try to teach hospitals that mostly have the equipment there sitting there, but how it can be useful in when tied into their medical practice. I want to ask about one other aspect of Child's Play. The other organizations that you support include domestic shelters. Tell us about what you do there and why. So years ago, and we've always supported not just hospitals, but other like clinics and other organizations as well. They, they Hospitals is the bulk, but we've always supported other organizations and and. One of our donors years ago came to the founders and was like, hey, like you should do stuff like pitch basically domestic violence shelters as a place where kids are stuck and are having a bad time and, and need some gaming distraction play. And we looked at it. I wasn't there at the time. Uh, actually, that was one of the first things I did is help roll out the project. We started with 100 shelters. We had jobs apply, but we had 100 that we sort of accepted and we gave them a Call it a rolling workstation or rolling game station that had a, it was a cabinet and it had a TV built in and it had an Xbox 360, I believe at the time. Yeah, 360. And with a bunch of games loaded and we, we shipped one of those out to a hundred different shelters. And we, we learned that, you know, our, our intention was just here are some systems for the kids that are bored to be able to play. Right. We heard stories back about the social workers and therapists using the game systems as a way to do the interviews and conversations that they had to have with their patients 
in a much more successful way. Like if a, if a client comes in with their kid and, you know, social worker has to have a conversation with the kid sitting across a table in a room is a hard way to have a first conversation with a kid. Like it's going to be hard to get them to open up. But if you sit down and play a game for a while with the kid, it's much easier to have a conversation. Topics will just sort of come up and you build that bonding. It made, it made that conversation a lot easier for them. Our second wave that we did with shelters, the cabinets, while great, were pretty big. We rolled out much more portable, like sort of clamshell suitcase uh, game systems that they could sort of take into a room or, or a social worker could take with them to a, to a visit, which then expanded even more the, the usability of it as a tool. We're always looking for other places that kids are stuck and are, you know, having bad situations and how we can get games there to help them. So, you know, we've done not in a, in a big way, but we have done grants for group homes and foster care situations and like I said, clinics and psychiatric institutions and lots of different organizations that anyone, anyone that is, you know, a nonprofit or government organization and wants to use games with their kiddos, that's who we want to help. I guess the other thing, cause we straddle the, the healthcare and the gaming fields. A lot of our work has to do with, with, Getting the healthcare people to realize that gamers can help them and getting gamers to realize that hospitals are in need of their services. And so if there's any of you out there that have an inkling that maybe, maybe I want to help, you know, play some games with kids or just help like clean up some Xboxes every once in a while or whatever, reach out to your local children's hospital, uh, wherever they are. And, and very likely they, they could use your help on a volunteer basis once a month or once a week. They may not know that they need that kind of help. But they, they certainly do. I can tell you that having, having chatted with hundreds of them. And I know Scott is, uh, is looking for volunteers, right, Scott? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I am nodding my head in agreement to everything Eric just said. Scott Shaw is Namor's gaming and technology specialist based at NCH Delaware. He was joined in conversation about the world of child's play by Eric Blandon, pediatric gaming technology manager for child's play based in Redmond, Washington. The Nemours Champions for Children podcast explores the stories and backgrounds and experiences and partnerships that make Nemours the best place to work and play. And there are always more stories to tell. Let's hear what stories you have or would like to hear on the podcast. Email us at podcast at Nemours.org. That's podcast at Nemours.org. Thanks, as always, to our production team for all of their support, Che Parker, Cheryl Munn, and Rachel Solis-Silverman. The Champions for Children podcast is found on Nemoorsnet, the Nemours Now app, and your favorite podcast app, along with your smart speaker. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Turners Falls, Massachusetts. On behalf of Eric Blandon and Scott Shaw, I'm Carol Vassar, and we thank you for joining us on this edition of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Until next time, please stay safe, stay well, and thank you, as always, for what you do for the children and families we serve.